Hey humans, how's it going? Susan Ruth here. Thanks for listening to another episode of Hey Human Podcast. This is episode 278, and I had a conversation over Zoom with Cameron Esposito. Uh, apologies really quickly, I need to point out that this episode, it had a lot of technical glitches. Something was going very weird with Zoom or with my machinery. It seemed like everything was going wrong. Uh, I had a coughing fit at one point that I cut out so you didn't have to hear that. (laughs) I don't know, it was just one of those days and Cameron was very patient with me. Unfortunately, a lot of my uh, questions came through crackly and all warped. You couldn't really understand what I was saying and so in those cases, I just cut me out completely and uh, allow her to just, it sounds like she's just free free flow talking. She's actually answering questions that I'm asking her, but luckily she's so succinct and knows what she knows her mind and knows what to say that you can't even tell that I haven't asked the question, uh, if that makes sense. Uh, I think it flows really nicely and doesn't have you suffering through trying to make out what the heck I just said. It just, it was all garbled and and weird. I don't know what the heck was going on. Lots of technical difficulties that day. Uh, but that's that's the way it goes when you're an indie gal doing it all yourself. Um, thank you for your patience with that. All right, back to Cameron. Uh, she Her pronouns are they, she. Uh, she has a memoir called Save Yourself. She is the podcast host and founder of Query Podcast. She's an activist. She is a stand-up comedian. You have probably seen her on her own specials. She had a special called Rape Jokes. She's uh, been on the late night talk show circuit a billion times. She's really a fascinating human. She studied theology. We talked about religion. We talked about stand-up comedy. We talked about childhood stuff. We talked about being a voice for the voiceless and representation, uh, what it's like to see people that are your representation in the media and film and things like that. We recorded this, mm, gosh, this good amount of time ago, I would say even maybe six months ago. And uh, it's it's timely, though, in, in that we don't talk about anything that isn't always going on. So, again, she was very patient with me as I was trying to work out how to fix the errors within the the sound quality. Um, these things happen, though. So, all right. Uh, definitely check out her book, Save Yourself. Check out her query podcast. All right, other stuff. Social media, Hey Human Podcast is on Facebook and Instagram. My personal social media is Susan Ruthism. You can email me, Susan at HeyHumanPodcast.com. Rate and review Hey Human on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. There is a merch page uh, on HeyHumanPodcast.com where you go there, you can click on the store button and get Hey Human t-shirts and hats and masks and all that good stuff. That really helps support the show, which is ad-free, as you know. Uh, You will also find a links page on the website, which is for every guest I have. I curate a pile of links about books or articles or things we talk about and whatnot. So you can do deep dives into each of my guests and what they're about and what they think and all that kind of stuff. If you want to join up on the mailing list, uh, SusanRuth.com is where you do that. That's my regular Just Me uh, website that has all the other stuff I do, art and music and all that good news. And I only send out those mailers, I don't know, 
maybe every quarter, maybe more. For those of you in the greater Seattle area, I'm going to be playing a show at Miller's Gathering on October 16th. You can go to millerscarnation.com for tickets. And I think there's just a few left, so definitely do that if you're interested in going. All right, that's all the office stuff I need to talk about. Let's get into this episode. Be well, take care of each other, take care of yourself, stay safe, be kind, and uh, here we go. Thanks for listening, everybody. Tamara Esposito, welcome to Hey Human. Hi. I appreciate you being on the show. Uh, our, our common connection, Ben, was very kind to set this up. Uh, so shout out to Ben, who is lovely. Yeah, shout out to Ben. Yeah. I let's start out with the beginning of you. Uh, you grew up in a, it sounds like, which is weird for a comic, a, a healthy environment, except for. The- <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I guess. Yes. Yes. It's yes. Yes. I think that it's not necessarily um, for me. I don't necessarily think that it has to mean an unhealthy environment, but I do think that um, most people who go into stand-up have some sort of trauma in their childhood. And I definitely have that, even though like my parents are together, they've been together for over 50 years and I grew up in the suburbs in like this very idyllic, um, you know, there was like, there's like no crime where I'm from. Um, So things that, some things that I think can make somebody pursue this job were not there, but other things were definitely there, like feeling like an oddball, getting bullied a lot for being queer. I had crossed eyes when I was a kid, so I'd wear an eye patch for a lot of my childhood. That'll go ahead and make you a stand-up oh, comic. Right there, that's enough, I think. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so, you know, and also it is, it's, it is baseline very traumatic to... Um, be really different than your parents, which I think some queer folks are born into queer families, but most of us are not. And that's a very odd experience. And for me also religion was included in that and a religion that gave me like really strong messaging around queerness and also around um, womanhood. So there's definitely a lot of stuff where the feelings were suppressed and where joking around was put on top of the feelings. (laughs) Yeah, I get that. Uh, Did your parents have an idea that, uh, that you weren't like the other kids (laughs) when you were, Um, that's something they tried to ignore then and, and say, Oh no, no, that's probably not what it is. I don't know that it was quite like that. I think it was like an entire community of people. I mean, I believe this still exists, but I'm talking about the 80s and 90s. It was an entire community of people that just like had never heard of gay people. So I don't even know that they would have had the context or the like cues. I certainly didn't in myself. And also there were like no out adults anywhere in my environment, not at school, not in my community so I think that for, I just think for all of us, it was, uh, you know, and this is also a time when 
people weren't supposed to come out if they wanted to like work with children. You know, this is like, we don't really talk about this anymore because the focus has moved to like bathrooms or kids in sports and like, can trans kids play as the people that they are in the sports? But, but there was like this big time when it was like, teachers can't be out and kids need to be shielded from gay people because like gay people are predators toward children, which is not true. Um, Anyway. So I just say all of that to say like, I knew no gay people. So, yeah, I think they were just like, we have two daughters who, well, we have three daughters. One of them is a ballerina. One of them is a boy. And one of them is a dog because my younger sister dressed as a Dalmatian for a large portion of her childhood. (laughs) That's amazing. Mm -hmm. Self-identification. I can get behind that 100%. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Did you know, you know, a lot of kids when uh, they know that they're uh, gay from from an early start, there's a sense of it. And like you said, they keep it quiet or maybe they don't have a context to, to frame it with. Did you have a feeling that something is not quite the same as everybody else or did that not happen till much later? Yeah, again, I don't know that, I mean, I just always, I did seem different than people around me, but I don't know that I, I like really don't, how do I explain it? Um, Cause I also have like some gender stuff going on. And when that was true when I was a kid too, where like, um, I just was like a gender non-conforming kid in a lot of ways. When we would go out for auditions for the school play, I always showed up and like for the boy parts, you know, or I wanted to be Robin Hood for Halloween and everybody else was like in a poodle skirt. It was just like a different, um, I was just doing a different thing and My parents were relatively supportive of that, which was cool. I think that it just didn't, yeah, I just, I felt like, yeah, I guess I felt like it didn't quite fit in, but I also had a very like big personality. So it's an odd one. Like, I think when we think about kids not fitting in, we often think about like, maybe that person is like shunned. And not super visible, but I always made myself very visible. So it was a unusual combination. Maybe there, maybe there are listeners who relate. I don't hear people talking about this very much. This like visible oddball, but that's what I always was. Well, and I think it's more accepted these days to be an oddball than it was say 20, 30 years ago. I don't know how old you are, but assuming that it's more than 20 years ago that you were a kid, um, you know, it, to be different now, uh, different is getting, it's getting better at being celebrated differences, but we still have a long way to go. I, I imagine that when I think of people who are comics, um, I think about people who notice everything. They notice everything and they're cataloging everything. Did you have that quality as a kid as well? Or was that something you developed as you grew older as a, 
I think it could be a bit of a defense mechanism. If you know everything happening all around you all the time, nothing, nothing can attack or surprise and you have something to say about it. So that that's its own defense. Yeah, totally. I mean, yeah, I think that's how I, I mean, I don't, I can't, I, I know there are people who are not like that, but you know, it's hard to step outside of your own cognitive patterns. Um, so definitely I've always noticed a lot of things. I'm for sure like hypervigilant and definitely it's because of wanting to keep myself safe. Um, I also just, yeah, like I watch TV differently than some people do. I don't know. My partner is like, she doesn't know who anybody is in the show that we're watching, but I know who everybody is, you know, like, but that's also how I walk down the street, you know, like I just, sometimes even sound can be super overwhelming. I just, I definitely like just take in a lot of stuff. Yeah. Somehow at a time when I was less aware of all, all the, the things that I am, I found a job and a way of functioning in the world that works like fairly well for me. Um, and that's cool, you know, to have a way to sort of adapt the world to you. Um, if you're a little different. Were you a cut up kid? Did you make people laugh from the beginning? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. But I was never the class clown. That's a very different thing. Um, I was very funny, but I also really like the rules. So yeah. Um, the class clown would be like interrupting teacher, but I would be like friends with the teacher. <laughs> Cause I was really, it was really well-behaved kid. Well, I mean, part of that is the structure of, cause you, you had said in something I watched that, uh, religion played a huge part of your life. And you said so in the beginning of this conversation. And that's a lot of structure, of course. And the idea that you get in trouble by some all-seeing eyeball probably keeps you in line too. Pretty intense, right? For a kid. I mean, it's really intense. Yeah. It, yeah. It's all, <laughs> I get why religion plays a part in people's upbringing, you know, morality and ethics and blah, blah, blah. But it's, it seems so controlling and sort of like this theory of maybe you should get to choose your name when you're older. You should be able to choose what you believe as far as spirituality or religion or not when you're older. Were you not raised in a particular faith? My father's Jewish. My mother's Episcopalian. And when I was little, I was in the school. We lived in, in Cambridge in England and uh, I got cast as an angel in the school play. And and I've told this story. But so basically at my school, my it was a private school and they... First, they prayed to the queen, and then they prayed to Jesus. Oh, wow. <laughs> I came home, and I was like, who's this Jesus guy? Y'all haven't talked about Jesus. What's, what's that about? I became obsessed with religions and uh, spiritual practices from a young age and wanted to know everything about everything. Catholicism specifically is a very, um, they just have done a very good job. Congrats to the church on becoming both like, omnipresent using colonialism and also um, full service. You know, you can go to school there um, and play sports and 
you know, there's a job, there are jobs for kids in liturgy. You know, I was an altar server. So like put on a cassock, you know, like a Jesus robe with a giant cross. And then I'm like car carrying accoutrement for the priests uh, through the service. Um, and I did that. And I was a Eucharistic minister where you hand the host to people. And so I just, it's a, I think it's a faith that it just says, and they, they invested in art, you know, they invested in so that all the best painters of the day were painting imagery from that faith. And then, you know, in more recent times, they invested in football. I just think it's like, they're just did such a good job of normalizing um, their practices and, it's also extremely wealthy organization. You know, you mentioned the queen, it's like the queen and then Saudi Arabia and then the Catholic church. Those are, that's who owns the most land in the world. <laughs> those are the organizations. Catholic church owns beaches and countries and giant stretches of land at like uh, all over the place. And the, anyway, they just did such a good job of um, spreading across the globe that I think that the stuff that I grew up with, it, it is really extreme, but it also so normalized and it feels old, you know, like it feels like there's a, you know, I think about something like reconciliation, which is where you confess your sins. And I was in fourth grade when I took that sacrament. So it was like nine and you're in a booth with like a priest that you can't see talking about like all the sins that you have committed. You're nine. <laughs> if the focus, you know, even the same process, if the focus was on more forgiveness and absolution and also in the process of forgiving others, you know, maybe that would be a really beautiful thing. It's just that, yeah, it, I, I, I consider myself having been raised in like religious extremism. It just is that like when you're in it, you know, they sell chocolate eggs at Walgreens. So it just is like a little more confusing, I think, yeah. than maybe being raised in something like Scientology. Right. I remember when I was in a Walmart and I discovered it, on crucified Jesus chocolate. Perfect. <laughs> anyway, why did you study theology? What was it? Because growing up, I know I know that I was always fascinated with religions. I thought they were, you know, and I also noticed even as a kid the similarities between all these different religions and and philosophies and the patterns of so many, like the flood story or the virgin birth or you know, 200 plus gods and they all have something in common. Um, what drew you into that? I mean, I think we're, sounds like we have a similar they interest. Yeah. For me also at the time, the only context I had for direct action for social change was through the Catholic church. So like, I actually had those experiences where I went and you know, now it's sort of, it's like people call it poverty tourism or um, there's like conversion. It, it, it's, uh, well, Catholics don't convert anybody. That's the first thing I'll say. Uh, the, the, today, <laughs> we're not like on a mission to convert people. It's different than that. We just want to steal your money and land. Um, but, uh, and oppress your 
women and gays. But anyway. Um, but other than that. <laughs> no, other than that's all fine. But I just, I went, to, I went, I have experiences with people who were priests and nuns that were doing like, I might be the only stand-up comic who's been to a leper colony, you know, but I have. And I just, there's like a thing that was happening in the church where um, people were doing direct action. Those people were people of faith. That was just the only people I knew who were protesting or serving meals to, you know, folks who were unhoused. That was all, those were all, those all through faith. I eventually found out there are people who are doing political <laughs> who are doing political action, who are doing organizing and who are doing protesting that are not affiliated with the Catholic church. But at the time that's, um, that was my whole context. So, so I was interested in like, what do we actually believe that we're going out in the streets and doing all of this action? Yeah. So you were always a seeker and the curious and empathic, which I think you can't help but be funny when you're all those I feel like Mother Teresa, for example, was probably fucking hilarious. I don't know why. I just have this feeling she was really funny. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, I hope that you that one has to be. Sometimes I feel like I, um, sometimes I feel like having a really good sense of humor actually, actually denotes um, that you're a little too serious, to be honest. Because I think that there are, there are, <laughs> there are people who can like sort of chuckle at life as it comes. And then there are people who want to make like jokes writ large about society and comics are not usually the chuckling at life people. <laughs> no, it's a coping system for sure. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, um, yeah. Yeah. Are you believer in God now? Is that something you've carried with you your whole life? Well, I don't know what, I don't know how to answer that because, um, I think when you're, when, because I was raised with such a specific, like sky man with a beard thing, um, even the word God is like, it's like too much, but me, but definitely a higher power or order to the universe or like, um, interwoven connect, you know, connection between humans. I do believe in all that stuff. Spirituality. I also think that, that things that appear in major religions, including the religion that I was raised in are really beautiful. Like the Bible as a text that is, allegorical and also semi-historical at least as an anthropological study of the way people were living at the time um so you know i like really think of that as like a spiritual book and i also don't think that like noah had an ark that you know was you know okay so so that's kind of how i feel about i think god in general which is that just as humans we we are doing something here um but i don't know that there is a person like a personified spirit that we're proving something to to me it feels like an energetic thing that as you grow and learn uh so does the thing that you're connected to whether it's science or a or a a 
ethereal being of some sort or an allness of some sort. I do wish that people who quote unquote are faithful to their religion would dig further into their texts and, and do see the things that the stories around the stories, you know, and, and the metaphors and, but that, I mean, that's a whole other ball, ball of wax. A lot of people do. It's just that those people don't, um, it's just that we overrepresent shitheads. <laughs> you know, the loudest voice in the room is is sometimes the worst person to pay attention to. And so I I just think that And I get a name during, <laughs> during the pandemic, I was I've been taking a lot of I've been taking some divinity school courses because cool. I can take them on the internet and um, I've taken them a lot of different places. I've taken them like at a super conservative, um, like Christian spot, um, or you know, I took some, I took some at Harvard. I took some at uh, even geographically different institutions. Anyway, this is all just to say that. I think some people are doing really good work and scholarly work and interesting work. And some people are really looking at it the way that we're talking about. And we're, and this is what's always been interesting to me is what's important to people. I mean, that's the same thing that I find in stand-up is that I'm talking about what's important to people. That's also what religion does. It, it talks about, it tries to speak to what's important to people. Um, it's just that I think, yeah, we pay like too much attention too much attention is given to like straight white cis men who want to scream about whatever um and there are plenty of other things we could give attention to that are really cool and interesting as you are finding your voice as a comic i, I watched a lot of your stand-up over the past few weeks and i went you know as far back as i could online and um it's really it's cool to do that with a comic because you see how they're those little tiny adjustments, the little adjustments as they go. And they're like trying to find the voice and then the sort of settling into the, the outfit of it or, you know, and it's cool. How, how does one, could you tell along the way, I'm trying to think how to ask this. Could you tell along the way that you were doing that or was that really more of an unconscious act I know that, of course, as a comic, you're always trying to develop and shape what you're saying and things like that. But I'm talking about that, that describable thing. Yeah, well, you know, I, again, my thesis is that, like, stand-up is about what's important to people. And I think when a comic first starts talking, but also, like, when friends start talking or when you're first dating someone or when you first start doing therapy, the stuff that you talk about first, sometimes it's... Um, stuff that's been like burning a hole in your brain, but it doesn't, it's not necessarily personal. So like I used to run an open mic in Chicago for years and years. And this open mic was the most popular one in the city. And, you know, we'd get hundreds of audience members. And I say all of that to say, I saw so many people do their first sets and everybody thinks that they're like breaking the mold. And it it often is like really offensive stuff (laughs) or like super trite, you know, or like, taboo topics that are oft tread like somebody will be like nobody's ever said this about you know 
people that are HIV positive. I'm not, but this is just an opinion I have. And I just think over time, the natural flow of human behavior is toward the more personal as we trust relationships. And, you know, stand up is really just a relationship with the audience and with yourself. So it just, I think for everybody, it's moving toward the more personal and then obviously, hopefully also getting better at just the skill set of things like breathing and timing and eye contact. And that's just happening through repetition. Um, but I think both those things are happening simultaneously. Sometimes one of them gets really good for a while. Like you get, you're like, oh man, I'm performing. I'm like, I'm like, feel so connected, but the, but the material is not that connected. And then that shoots up, you know, but, but those are really the two, like, um, vectors. Those, those are really, that's really the change that everybody's experiencing. And I, I see it in other comics too. And I think what is sometimes a, a bummer, um, <laughs> somebody's really successful and whoopsie daisy, they actually don't have anything cool or interesting to say. And those are the two rates of change or whatever. That's the, that's the graph, the line. What is this? I'm doing it with my hand. What's this? This is a line that's uh, on, the, on the X and Y axis. What you're changing on the Y axis is you're getting better in terms of repetition, but you're also getting better in terms of using things that are personal. And what is a big bummer is that sometimes uh, people are really successful and it turns out they actually don't have anything interesting to say. Um, and that's always my saddest. That's always why I think, oh, rats. Whoops, yeah. I say. Do your parents come to see you perform? Yeah. Um, yeah, totally. They, they, they always have. Um, everybody in my life always has. Because uh, yeah. it's, you know, a weird public job. Um, now my job looks a little bit more like a day job because I have a lot of other things that I do besides perform. But for a while that was, my whole job was, was at night. And, um, during that time, yeah, friends were always coming to shows. Family members were always coming to shows. Everybody yeah. in my family seen me perform. My oh. Nana even. Oh, that's, that's cool. And that's gotta be slightly weird at first. <laughs> She came to see me when I was a circus ringmaster. There was a period of my of my life where I was a circus ringmaster, and she came to that. That's the thing to bring your grandmother to. Your 97-year-old grandmother at the time, she has since passed. But that's the thing. If you're in the circus, then you don't even have to. She doesn't even have to hear your stand-up. How did you get to be in the circus? That's a cool-ass job. Uh, it is a cool-ass job. I don't know. I was performing in Chicago, and um, in Chicago, the arts community is pretty small because there isn't an industry. And so I just knew a bunch of people who were circus performers and they were looking for somebody to work and sort of host their show and then travel with them. And I said yes to that job because who would say no to that job? <laughs> you saw the outfit? Please say yes. Uh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Sure. Whether or not you meant to or not, you become a voice of LGBTQ. Do you find that a lot of younger people come to you and say, help me do this or that, help me unravel and talk to my parents. You did a thing on BuzzFeed that was questions for a lesbian, which I loved watching that. I thought it was great. And people ask very interesting questions, but do you find that you become that for a beacon? Yeah. I mean, well, I'm a little insulated from direct contact at this point um, because 
you know, when I'm traveling, um, I always have security because I'm a tiny person and sometimes people don't like that queer people are around. Um, and so, you know, I've had some negative experiences. Um, but what I will say is that I always stay after shows and I meet as many people as I can. And, um, usually you're, I'm not usually in, a, I'm usually in an altered state after a show because it really is, the experience is really, you're on drugs. You're, you, you're, there's so much adrenaline is punch is pumped into my body that I am sort of dissociative <laughs> at that point. Um, and uh, so, you know, I, I try to stay as present with people as I can, but I say all this to say something that's been really cool actually is that I've done a bunch of zoom shows, um, or other types of virtual shows during the pandemic. And it's really rad because I can see people in the different way I'm seeing them in their homes and, even though the adrenaline spikes happen, some of them are a little like lessened because um, I'm seeing people throughout uh, or I was just hosting panels when I released a book. Anyway, it's been really cool because I feel like I've had a chance to connect with people that usually I, um, I can't always receive everything that everybody wants to say, which is very nice. I don't, this sounds like, I know this might sound completely nuts, but, but yes, a lot of times people tell me that I have been important to them in their coming out process. It's just, it's, um, it's a lot to take in actually, you know, just as a human. Cause I yeah. just know I'm some idiot like everyone else. And so, <laughs> and, um, you know, it's, a uh, yeah, it's a lot to it's, receive. It's important to see yourself. You know what I mean? It's important. So if I'm a young person and, and I'm uh, identifying as, you know, LGBTQ in some way or another. And I see other people that are out there being in, being, being in famous for, or being successful or being uh, adored or appreciated or just not having rocks thrown at them. I think that's so important. And I don't know. I know it's getting better and better and better, but it's so important to see yourself. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, I get it actually, you know, I had, I had people that I really cared about. Um, and I know this feeling I, when I was the first comic I ever saw live was Margaret Cho and I like loved her so much. And then she had a book come out and I, um, went to the book signing and I thought maybe I should bring a bottle of wine. What if she wants to be friends with me and, and she wants to hang out, but there's no wine. To, that's not how anything works. She's not trying to hang out with me and have, but I do remember that thought. And, and it also is funny, you know, I mean, I know Margaret now. Um, and, but I know the, I know that feeling of um, like, I can't believe this person is real because that's how I know I'm real. Oh, so well said. Yeah, I think that's it, right? Because Absolutely, yeah. Imagine it's, I mean, we all in childhood is fucking hard enough not feeling like a ghost of oneself. And then to have someone else who, like, are they a ghost too? No, they're real. Everybody sees them. If <laughs> <laughs> I know, it's cool. Yeah, it is cool. Um, I watched your uh, The Rape Jokes show. 
And there was something that you said in there that really stuck with me. And uh, it's that you said, get in the way. And I think that was such an, of, of all the, I mean, it was a great show, but that one line really resonated with me. Is it get in the way of, if you see something, say something, step in front, all that. And I just, uh, for no other reason, I just wanted to say, I thought that part was really exceptional for people to hear. Thanks. Yeah, me too. I mean, I'm proud of that. Yeah, I think it's a a message that lasts. Um, and definitely how I live my life. And people did respond to that when that special came out. So, well, And yeah. I think it's to what we were just talking about. I think your presence on a stage, being who you are and grounded in that, is its own form of getting in the way. You become a wall between people who are trying to figure out who they are or who maybe know who they are and the people that want to somehow attack that, which is so cool. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, absolutely. I also, the other thing that goes with that is like the other sort of like slogan or whatever that I have that's just personal is to hold the door open, hold, hold the door open. And I think those two things together are what, I've been doing. So yes, I agree. I think that that's what I'm doing, like in terms of a front facing, you know, if you're seeing me at a show, um, just looking like this creates space for anybody in the audience who looks like this. Um, and then also, um, let's say I, you know, in a different time in my life where I'm on the bill with a bunch of other comics, a bunch of them are offensive and shitty and say super homophobic stuff, then, you know, I'm getting in the way of that. So it's like this two pronged approach of like holding the door open for those who haven't had a chance to get through. And then, you know, um, holding a, a hand up to stop those who um, would do harm. And, and, but that's also, you know, what I'm doing behind the scenes often too, in terms of if I'm in a position to hire folks, um, or if I'm booking out my podcast or people that will open for me. Um, and it really is that sort of like two pronged approach of like, what's both the least bad and also the most good. Um, and I'm, that is, that's from my upbringing. So I will say that, you know, like that thing is from there. Um, and also it is funny because I know some comics just are, you know, fucking around telling jokes. So congrats to them if that's what their experience of this job is. But um, for me, it, yeah, it's intersects with like social justice work. Especially for people listening, this isn't a comedy podcast that I have. So anyone learning of you, maybe first time or people who have followed your work, just yes. you can be activism person on stage as a comic, but to know that it also encompasses a greater part of who you are. Um, you said something else in the beginning. I think it was at the beginning of, I've watched so many, now they're all kind of, <laughs> I might've been on the rape jokes one, but uh, about the concepts of uh, the PC and the cancel culture and what comics choose to say or not say. And I found that part really fascinating as well, because comics historically poke sticks at the zeitgeist and at the things that, that make people uncomfortable and in that space that's that's historically what comics do and 
if I understand, I'm going to paraphrase you so that you can then tell me I fucked it up or that I'm right. <laughs> but that, that there's a way to do that without being offensive. And yet many comics go for that, that crossing the line place. Will, will you talk about that a little bit? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think it's the difference between offensive, which I think is so often a thing that is a word that is misused when what really is meant is oppressive. You know, if you are a comic and you're spending, and especially if for anybody who has privilege, um, and just to do this job as a privilege. So if you get up on stage and, and you're supporting systems of power or taking down people who have less flexibility in the world than you do, I just think that's like, to me, that's boring. I mean, I know that for some people that really works, but it just is, it's boring and uninteresting to me. It's, it also is propaganda often if you're, if you're cementing systems of power, um, by degrading those who have less than you. And so for me, it's, you know, it, it is poking a stick, but it's like, it's, it's punching up, right. That, that idea. And so, you know, I, I think what no topics are out no topics are off limits. It's um, it's about taking the time and care to respect the topic that you're talking about. And if you can pull it off, amazing. You know, I think sometimes there's like this weird fault. There's like this weird, um, there's this fake thing <laughs> that's been happening for a while in comedy, which is the idea of like, the social justice warrior versus the canceled comic. So that's like a comic who's like, I it's free speech. You can't um, come in here and censor me. First of all, censorship is not when you're getting paid to do your job and somebody gives you feedback. That's not what censorship is. But um, yeah, it, I, I receive so much feedback. I receive feedback from people who are in my industry who don't think I'm funny because they don't think like women are funny from people who are in my industry who don't understand why I have to talk about being gay all the time while they talk about being straight all the time. I, you know, I receive, I also receive feedback from my community about like, hey, these words are no longer okay with us. There is no chance that the queer community is harsher to straight people than it is to its own because we have a high, high bar for what we expect from each other. So I just will say whenever I hear like some quibble between, I don't even know who it is. It's like Tim Allen on a college campus. And it's just like, what are any of you even talking about? First of all, like, like Jerry Seinfeld is always, is always talking about this. Like, Jerry, why are you even still doing shows? Like, go use your money and do something more interesting. Like, how is this still? What, but anyway, why do you need to play a college? Like, like that's, that's like a highly paid gig. Leave it for someone else. That's just one thing I'll also say. Also, if you're not trying to win the hearts of 18 to 35 year olds, um, you are out of step with modernity. Like, <laughs> like that's, that's, um, something to be, to be bettered for you as a comic. And just as an artist, you know, it, um, I receive a ton of feedback all the time. And to me, when somebody speaks out about a feeling of censorship, it just reflects to me that they've never, that they don't get a lot of feedback that they are so privileged. It's like our former president, you know, like, oh, he's so, so privileged that, um, you know, that, that people holding him accountable feels like oppression. Yeah. Anyway, that's that was, a very long answer. 
Oh, that's a great answer. Let's talk a bit about uh, the podcast that you do, Query Podcast. What about the, the space for it and the, the types of guests you have on and your, your mission on it? Yeah, well, I um, years ago, I heard in an interview between Terry Gross and a big sports star, huge sports star who happens to be queer. And Terry asked that person about... Um, if they'd ever had heterosexual sex. And to me, it was such an odd question to make it into an interview with a sports star. You wouldn't ask a straight sports star if they have had gay sex. Nobody's asking LeBron James that. Although I personally would like to know if LeBron James. <laughs> but um, anyway, I, you know, for, I am used to on a, on like, for instance, earlier on this podcast, we were talking about my parents and like coming out stories, those stories, like, I think when, if we're going to break the bubble of the queer community and talk to other folks, those stories are really important to hear because oftentimes like maybe you're, you're not having this one-to-one -one relationship with this experience. You are a parent or you're a sibling or like a, you know, uncle, whatever it is. And you do need to hear those stories. But for queer folks, our lived experience is like not, I don't const, I don't spend every day thinking about how my parents took it when I came out. And I don't spend every day thinking about um, like whether or not I've ever had sexual heterosexual sex. And I just didn't find that there were many places where other conversations were happening, like in group conversations. And I, um, wanted to start that show. So that's, that's what query is. It's an hour long chat and it's just sort of like beyond, I mean, there's still a lot of, of coming out stories and childhood stuff. It, that's all in there, but, but it's also, um, because there aren't like a ton of late night hosts or, you know, interviewers who talk to, we just don't see it or hear it that much. We don't hear the kinds of conversations that I have in my life with my friends. Um, and I wanted a place for people to hear that so that other queer folks could, if they wanted to, um, you know, listen to stories beyond. And also for folks outside the community, if you're like, okay, I'm super interested in being a better ally here, like what a great thing for you to just get to be a listener um, in a room that is not built for you. Yeah, <clears throat> that's, that is the, the tricky balance, I think, for an ally of any one is to know that it's not the person that you are being an ally for is responsibility to make you feel comfortable or understand what they went through so there's that tricky balance because you still want to know experiences that you are better informed and I think empathy plays a big part of that like I want to hear that story because I want to put myself in that situation it's, you know it is a tricky balance I think between yeah absolutely I mean I think for me one thing that we have now that we didn't used to have um, you know, thanks to the internet sort of democratizing entertainment and access to ideas and art and thought, conversation, things like that. Um, 
thing, there are a lot more things that are available that aren't like gate kept by a person from the community that has more power. So like, for instance, there are things that you can, there, you know, you can watch or listen to queer things made by queer people where there isn't this other lens put on it. And same thing for, you know, same thing for black folks, same thing for, um, whatever the identifier is. Um, and I, I think that that's, for me, that's, that's such a cool opportunity because we have this thing where, um, we could be motivated by our curiosity to sort of put ourselves in a room where, um, and I don't mean a physical room, you know, like you don't have to, we don't even have to go into spaces. We can become a fly on the wall and hear the things that beforehand would have just been filtered. Um, and that is really cool. You know, I think it's a real opportunity. Um, just following, like, if, if anybody is that's listening is on Twitter, like, who are you following? You know, is it, and, and is there an area that you're interested in or that you have ideas about where you could expand that? And I'm not talking about like crossing the aisle and like uh, following a bunch of, um, you know, like hateful QAnon believers. I'm talking more like just making sure that like, Hey, everybody I follow is my same age. Everybody I follow does my same job. Everybody I follow is the same race as me. And um, that's such an easy change that can affect the, the whole way you're experiencing the world. 100% believe that. Yeah, it's, it's important to hear all the voices. It, not just the ones in your head. <laughs> but also you're going to get a legitimate, like if you're just following somebody on Twitter, you're going to get the, what's really, you know, or at least what's filtered for social media, but from their heart, which is so different. That might not be, you know, to be a white person following a bunch of black folks in the last year, like those people might not say the things that they're saying on Twitter to my face because I'm not the you know person they want to talk to about this, but I can opt into listening. I just think that's a really cool thing that's possible. The space of listening is very powerful. And the more that, that, that people step into that, I think the better off we're all going to be for sure. And I would take that support of listening to voices one step further too and say, you know, if you know that there is a black owned business or a woman owned business or a queer owned business, support that as well, you know, buy a cookie. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's that's something I have it's funny because I even in the pandemic it's hard to use this phrasing, but I've been for a while talking about um how much disposable income like directing your disposable income is a really has has can have huge results and when I say disposable income I am talking about like money you'd spend on coffee. And also I'm talking about um even if you're like, I just started a couple years ago, actually during the last residency, I just started making sure that I was always seeing um, bands when they came to town that I wanted to be able to continue to make music and just small actions like that, you know? Um, and not everybody has, nobody, not everybody has money to buy coffee outside of their home or is going to concerts. But if you are, yeah, you can do this. And also one can be a lot. That one small thing 
if everyone's doing a one small thing, it becomes a gar- gargantuan thing. I think a lot of times we get so caught up with the idea that, oh, I'm, my voice doesn't matter unless I'm screaming from a rooftop or I've got a thousand friends all doing the exact same thing, that it is those little tiny steps are also consequential. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely a both and, you know, I mean, that's, and I think that's what you're saying, which is cool. I mean, when I put out my special rape jokes, it's not just a, an hour of material about my own experience with sexual assault, but it also um, raised a bunch of money for RAIN, which is the nation's largest anti-sexual violence organization. So, um yeah, I mean, that's what I'm trying to do in my life is like speak about the topic and make sure I'm heard on the topic. Make sure people in my life know how I feel about it. Sexual assault, no thanks. I'm a b- <laughs> circle yes or no, circling no. Um, but also then, you know, here's where I would direct you to. This is a resource. They have a hotline. They're somebody who, who is doing work. Obviously, I'm in a different situation than maybe somebody with a different job. But however that makes sense in your life, you know, I think both things are important. Be heard, you know, make yourself heard. But then also, what's the action? Mm-hmm. Um, and Do you think moving forward that you will, that that will grow and grow? And, and maybe, because you do a lot of things now, as you said, do you think that that it will become its own juggernaut of just social social cause? I don't think so. No. I mean, for me, there's always a way I'm always tying them together. So for instance, like I had a book come out the beginning of the pandemic and did a bunch of online. I did a bunch of zoom shows like before even people knew what zoom was, we got zoom bombed with the most intense pornography I've ever seen in my entire life. But this is all just to say, um, the way, you know, I booked those out. So they were other writers. Um, I was in conversation with other writers. So anybody that was aware of me was being introduced as the new person. Um, and many of them were also like more successful than me in, in the film, in the field of writing. So I don't mean to say that anybody heard about me, heard about Roxanne Gay through me, but just, she was, you know, she was on the panel, but then also partnered with an indie bookseller for all of the events. So again, it's like, okay, you're showing up for me. Here's who else you could be interested in in listening to. And then here's where you can buy their books. Um, And that's the thing I've, I mean, I've been doing that. My last major tour, I invited local LGBTQ organizations to the show and they would speak to the audience. Um, After I was done performing, I would invite the organization up on stage. They would speak about the work that they do because so many people wait in line to meet me and thank me for the work that I do. But I'm leaving tomorrow flying. Like, I'm not doing the hard work in their community, but there is somebody who is. And here's that person in your town, you know? And I really think, like, that's just, um, that's my special skill is being able to make art, but then refer it to an action that somebody else is taking who went a different path with their career and um, isn't only making art, but is working for change. And I think that, yeah, that's what I've been doing for a while now. And I think that will always be there. And um, I didn't mean to do that, but it is what I'm doing. And I, and I, it does work for me. Yeah. Firstly, I love Roxanne Gay. I've read all her books. Karen, this has been delightful. I feel like I could talk to you forever. 
I know. I hope that I also feel like good job dealing with things being strange. What a terrible time that that we have to, we have to, we have to deal with all of this and our phones that we don't know how to work. We have to be in a pandemic and be coughing with no coughing because of nothing is something that I know from every day of my life. I know. I talked to my parents this morning and my dad, I was on the phone with my dad and, and he was like, why do you keep sniffling? I'm like, I don't have allergies, dad. It's fine. You know, everyone's it's, like, are you dying? Do you have COVID? Yeah. No, it's dusty. I live in a fucking desert. What do you want from me? <laughs> yeah, it is dusty. Winds. A lot of winds coming in right now. Yeah. This is what I've yeah. been hearing. Exactly. The winds are messing with our allergies. Anyway. The world's covered in dirt, people. Yeah. <laughs> it is. It is. There's so much dirt on earth. Very true. Couldn't be more true. Um, anyway, yes. There's a great podcast. And then uh, what are other spaces? That's good. You have social media. Yeah. Listen to my podcast, buy my book that's called save yourself, then buy it as an audiobook. Then intersplice it with episodes of query, then listen to this podcast a couple of times. Then you'll be so familiar with my voice. You'll need a break and go ahead and take that break. Enjoy yourself. And then buy those books for your friends as well. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it was great talking to you on the show. Yeah, this is really fun and uh, have a great day. Yeah. Rock and roll. Thank you for listening, everybody. Bye. 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 Rate and review Hey Human on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks. Bye.